Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than Britpop and boy bands in tiny t-shirts. Thank you for downloading. As always, I am Ash Rose and I'm ready to take you on another visit down the 90s path of memory lane. However, if you have downloaded and hoping to listen to our video games pod, yes, I'm sorry, I've got to apologise once again. Uh, I'm to, to some unfortunate circumstances for our producer, which we're very, very sorry about, of course. Uh, on Tuesday, we couldn't record the pod and thus the, the planned guests couldn't do this week. And once again, uh, the show didn't happen. Um, we will do it. I do feel like the video games pod is kind of cursed at the moment. Someone up there really doesn't want us to talk about FIFA 94. Um, but, but it will happen. I promise you guys it will happen. So bear with us. Um, we'll hope to do it in the next couple of weeks. Um, obviously, stay tuned on Twitter and we will uh, get you informed when we will do those video games pod. It will happen. I promise you. Um, just want to mention as well, um, while we're talking, obviously, of 90s as we do, while I was getting ready for, for this week's show, I came across a couple of milestones as well that could just get mind made me smile. Purely 90s nostalgia is what we're all about. Uh, one of them is football-related, but one isn't as well. Um, and firstly, that was 20 years ago uh, this week that Happy Gilmore was released. Now, if you like your silly comedies, um, for me, this is probably one of the best. And for me, again, certainly one of Adam Sandler's best films. Hold on, hold on, Ash. I'm going to have to interrupt you here. <laughs> Go on, early Twi- interruption. Twi- 20 years ago... You're sitting talking about Happy Gilmore, whereas we all know 20 years ago this week, Train Spotting came out. Come on! I'm more for silly to come. Well, I didn't know, actually didn't know that, so thanks for that, Joe. That was a good no, Joe. We'll introduce more portly in a minute. But yeah, okay. And that as well. Great 90s film, see? And I actually watched one last night. I made the wife watch Con Air, which was quite amusing to remember how cheesy uh, action film that is. But another great film. But back to more on topic. And obviously, it's it's a football podcast. And it was 23 years ago this week that the last Roy of the Rovers comic was published. Um, which we haven't mentioned Roy on this show yet because I think it's probably seen more as an 80s product. But I remember I think it's I think it's seen as a 50s, 60s, 70s, yeah, 80s yeah. and 90s product. I think it started in Tiger in yeah. 1953. There you go. There's a geek fact. There's a proper geek fact. But yeah, so it, it will may, probably mention that maybe in the future. But it, I remember having a few of the comics, them and the, the Melchester Rovers boys. So yeah, it was a uh, good old Roy race. So maybe time to bring that back along with a uh, dream team, of course, that we talked about last week. And why I'm saying that must mentioned squared circle on twitter who sent a picture on our twitter feed earlier of uh, linda block in an all her glory sitting on her desk it was a very nice picture that brightened up my uh oh, we're now thursday day so yeah very thanks for that guys and thanks for the uh tweet as well uh, on to tonight then so if we're not doing video, video games we've turned our attention to football inspired music of the 1990s so as i said earlier get your walkmans and your discmans ready for some real real gems of the decade um, and we couldn't do that so without some guests so that's properly meet our guest you already heard his voice and when our plans go awry he's the man <laughs> i call he loves janinho we love him itv's joe young good evening hello again sorry for interrupting you there I just the, the transporting thing really shocked me yeah no i didn't even know that didn't, that should be made more of that as well shouldn't it? i haven't really seen that on twitter or anything I, th- I think the big hit is going to be kind of the, this weekend and everything. I've seen a few bits and bobs. Uh, I think the BFI is showing it again. So if you're in London, it might be a little thing to pop along. And, and if you fancy a bit of transporting on a big screen as opposed to a DVD when drunk. Many, yeah. Many's the time I've woken up to the thumping beats of um, Lust for Life, you know, on the menu yeah. screen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, classic, classic. Oh, classic yeah, we've all done well. that. We've all done that. Second only to waking up to that bass line from Music for Chameleons by Gary Newman when you stuck the Partridge CD in, DVD in. And, uh, yeah, woken up with that on the menu. But anyway, I digress. Oh, we're talking very 90s outside of football box tonight. Yeah, Love it. Love yeah. It. Uh, and then we have two newbies, which I always like to. Uh, firstly, uh, the GM of Media 73, who specialise in uh, proper sports nostalgic magazines, and Wolves fan, Graham Large. Good evening. Good evening, Ash. 
you were going to be part of our video games pod as well, weren't you? So you're multitasking for us this week. I was looking forward to it. I've been watching uh, videos of people playing kickoff two and sensible soccer, oh, and, uh, reminiscing, and uh, yeah, and then it then it got thrown out the window at the last minute. But I'm more than happy to talk about outstanding by Andy Cole this evening. Yes, we've already and funnily you mentioned that I was speaking to our last guest earlier from Radio Yorkshire and Liverpool and John Isherwood. We were talking about Andy Cole earlier, weren't we? We were, mate. Yeah, what a uh, what a chronically bad song that was. <laughs> we'll talk more about it in a minute because some of the <laughs> lyrics of that were brilliant. And um, before we do a quick CVs with the two newbies, then that's just about a few things that happened in the nineties this week. So on the eighteenth of February, nineteen ninety four, Coventry's Mickey Quinn scores the two hundredth goal in the uh, the two hundredth Premier League goal and therefore a win over Man Z. Although he tweeted at me earlier, it was the two thousand. So I don't think he's quite got the right count there. Um, the nineteenth of February, nineteen ninety seven, Ian Wright and Peter Michael collide in that famous match. With between Man United and Arsenal. Uh, the 20th of February 1992, the FA strike a deal to agree to the formation of the Premier League, and we all know what happened next. On the 21st of February 1995, George Graham is sacked as Arsenal manager with allegations of illegal payments to agents. And on the 22nd of February 1997, Arsenal signed an unknown teenager called Nicholas Anelka for just £500,000. So let's talk to the newbies first uh, about their football CV. So Graham, uh, Wolves fan, favourite Wolves player in the 90s? There's going to only be one, surely. It could only be, otherwise I'm going to end up with an angry mob at my door. So <laughs> that, that honour's got to go to Mr. Stephen George, Bull MBE. Proper striker. I mean, not many strikers, especially of that era, get into the England squad being in the second tier, do they? Just No, not at all, but I'm just slightly disappointed that I missed those two seasons where he was scoring 50-plus goals in, in league goals in a season. And where, when I came round, he was only knocking in the, the odd 20 here and there, but uh, still nothing to uh, cry about, really. Do you think why he never really played at a higher level? Do you think it was his love for Wolves? Do you think he could have done it at the high? I know he did it internationally, but do you think he could have done it at the highest level? I think he could have done. I, I, th- I think he was one of those strikers that, given given half a chance, he he would just score goals, and it it, it was more about instinct with him than anything else. Um, he's been derided by a few people for his first touch, but it never really mattered because his second touch was usually a goal. So it was um, it, it, it was probably a case of he could have gone on to play a higher level. But in the end, his loyalty to Wolves mm. was what was what won every time. Um, Ron Atkinson tries to take him to Coventry at one point when uh, Graham Taylor lost the love of the Wolves fans by trying to sell Bully, which went down like a lead balloon. Scratch religious, that isn't it? I know, but um, he he ended up turning down the move at the eleventh hour, saying he couldn't leave Molyneux, and uh, as a result, he stayed with us until the end of his career. Top man, top man. And outside of Molyneux, your favourite player of the nineties? Oh, I, I, I've got to mention two because I don't feel like I mention one without the oh, other. Go for it. The first, the first one was probably the first player to make a lasting impression on me uh, in, in the nineties, and that would have to be Peter Schmeichel. Reason for that being. I went to Aston Villa in September and I worked out the other day, it must have been 1991, it seemed like much more recent than that, but uh, he made either his second or third appearance for United and I just remember him picking the ball up about 10 minutes into the first half and launching it forward with one of his classic long throws and it reached Brian McClare who was actually inside the opposition half at the time and I just thought to myself, what have I just seen here? Mm. And it, it, it was something that I was just not used to seeing at all in football and... Um, I think he was one of these, very much one of the new generation of goalkeepers where you'd actually got keepers that could uh, strike some fear into the opposition centre-forwards. I mean, for those first couple of years he was at United, a lot of strikers were scared to go anywhere near him, particularly during uh, set pieces. But um, the other player, and as an outfield player, there can only be one, and it's got to be Eric Cantona. Yeah, great name on this show. When when I think back to most of my favourite goals growing up, I've got to say that five, six, seven times Eric Cantona appears in them. And 
just just reliving some of those this week and and, and seeing like his uh, the the volley against Wimbledon where he yeah. took the ball up for himself, the chips, uh, the Sunderland one at Bramall yeah. and the one uh, the one over Lionel Perez against yeah. Sunderland, and the goal he scored against Liverpool in the FA Cup final was just just so many memorable goals and. I always like a bit of a maverick player as well, and he, he obviously had charisma in abundance, and it just made for a fabulous, fabulous footballer. Yeah, maverick is the word. You can listen to uh, our maverick podcast we did earlier in the season if you go back on iTunes. We, we talked about in depth on Eric Cantona. On to John then. Uh, you're a Liverpool fan. Uh, who is your Liverpool player of the 90s, John? You know what, just thinking about it then, it was a really difficult choice to make, actually, because there's two that stick in your mind, but I've gone for the one that we all call God, it's Robbie Fowler. What? a brilliant finisher this guy was one of the best players that i ever saw until i saw louis suarez recently yeah i think fowler they always he's often forgot about because he didn't quite ever do it for england but as everyone who's ever played with him they always say best finisher they've ever seen i think liverpool fans say the same don't they yeah they do everyone says he's, he's one of the most instinctive finishers anybody's ever seen he could never really do it in an england show but for liverpool he scored 30 goals in three consecutive seasons in the 90s i mean not many strikers managed to do that and uh, him and maca were just electric together They're, them two were brilliant steve McManaman, just great yeah i always thought steve McManaman was really underrated actually especially when he went on to madrid and stuff but yeah, outside of anfield then who would be your favorite player of the 90s john there's only one, it's Gazza, isn't it? Yeah. Gazza. Uh, and you talk about Mavericks before. I mean, this yeah. guy was a Maverick, wasn't he? I mean, even from like just his general antics, you know, just kind of off the pitch. But Euro 96, that was uh, the big one that sticks in my mind, the whole tournament. And that goal, that goal against Scotland, you know, yeah. One of the like best of the decade, yeah, definitely. Being left out of Hoddle's squad as well and sort of mooching back home after that in France 98, it was, it was just amazing. And watching the documentary actually recently just brought a lot of this back just to remember how good he was for every club that he played for. Yeah. <laughs> apart from... All right, yes. Yeah, apart, apart from that one, Joel. Yeah, yeah, apart from that one, mate. <laughs> You're the reason he wasn't in our team in the 90s, Mr. Young, so yeah. yeah uh, yes, one of the reasons. It wasn't just me. Yeah. Um, we're not going to what we've done CVs with you, but I thought we just mentioned something that happened this week. On a sad note, um, especially for Borough fans and yourself, Joel, uh, the sad death of Alistair Brownlee, um, the, the commentator for a radio... Was it for Middlesbrough's commentary team? Well, it was... He, he sort of went where Borough went, to be honest. Um, he did stuff for the BBC, worked for lots of independent stations. Basically, whoever got the, cover, the contract to cover Middlesbrough, basically, Alistair had to come as part of the package. Um just it's kind of been there's been lots of tributes to Ali this week uh, about what a wonderful man he was and he was you know I was lucky to work with him for a little while in my capacity at the BBC and at Middles Football Club when I when I was working there and Ali was a, just a champion of any of anybody and he was just so kind but I think as we're here we need, I, I should talk about him as a broadcaster um, Ali covered Borough for 33 years. Uh, he commentated on more than 1,500 games for for Borough, and that's just. I, I, I don't know how many how many commentators even do that so, over so a full career yeah. for everybody, you know. But especially committed to one team, yeah. And I think the beauty of Alistair is, um, if you know, he sort of felt the pain of a Borough fan. He felt the he, he shared the joy when things were going brilliantly. He he was, you know, it's been said a lot this week, the voice of the Borough. Uh, and he absolutely was in there. I think he had a perfect attitude for a uh, for a local radio. I think if I'd have seen him on national and he was acting like that, I'd probably go mad if I wasn't a Borough fan. But for somebody who uh, absolutely lived and breathed the club, 
uh, a wonderful broadcaster. And um, I was talking on John's radio show the other day about this. But um, if you want to go and listen to the full gamut of Ali Brownlee's commentary and emotional pull, if you listen, find on YouTube, it's there all over the place. Middlesbrough 4, Stour Booker S2. Um, and, and Ali's, you know, when we when Borough go 2 nil down, he is dejected, but his professionalism shines through. You know, he's, he's still talking about the goal. He's not mourning, but you can de- detect a bit of positivity in it. And then as we score one goal, two goals, three goals, four, and the fourth goal was important. You know, we had to win by four clear goals when we went 2-0 down. And Ali is just screaming in, in, into the microphone, you know, and, and ends up with inviting everybody in Teesside back to his house for a, par- a party in a Palmer. It's just incredible. Uh, he will be desperately missed and he already is desperately missed i don't know how his colleagues at bbc T's have managed to even operate or let alone broadcast this week um with with the sad news he uh an absolute legend i wouldn't be surprised if something big at the stadium happens with regards to ali uh whether that's a, a, a stand or something else there's talk of a stand being named after him and that's incredible yeah, for, for a, some a media for, person that for is, some, well for, yeah. for somebody for that even to be mentioned yeah for somebody who never kicked a ball for the club the possibility that people are clamoring now in in on side to get a stand named after a commentator is stunning. And that just shows you the high regard Ali was sent and we're all very sad and um, just pass, pass on my best wishes to all his friends and family. Yep, same here. Very, very sad news on that front. Um, but we have to move on now and let's go. Let's delve into the musical past of the 1990s. Um, we're gonna. I always want to start chronologically. The problem with this is that we're going to start 1990, and that's the best song. And that is the best song of the. For, well, personally for me, and Joe has obviously clearly just agreed with me. Um, World in motion. It's. I mean, I can't describe how much I love this song. For all the love, we're going to give three lines in a bit. For me, World in motion, New Order, and the England squad. John Barnes rap as well. Um, I mean, if you haven't heard it, then I'm, I'm not sure why you haven't, because it's the best England song. I don't know why. I don't know why you're listening to this. Yeah, I didn't want to say that. that kind of, you know, kind of alienate someone, but you really should go on YouTube and listen to it if you've never heard it. Um, Graham, are you a fan of um, World in Motion? How can you not be? It's um, it's, it's just the ultimate football record for me. Um, and if until Free Lions came along, it was a case of people should have just not bothered releasing a song for England after World in Motion. They should have just bought that out every year as far as I was concerned. Um, they could have kept the Italian 90 theme lyrics and just just played that because I don't think a song's ever captured um, fans' imagination like that one and certainly not since. John, as a DJ, can you appreciate the, the, the brilliant of World in Motion? You know what? As soon as you hear the opening bars of that song, as soon as you hear the first few notes... It does go off. It doesn't matter whether you are in a studio or in a club or whatever, especially if you're in a studio and you get into, you know, like a major tournament. It is the best song to play. Everybody loves it. And it just makes you feel so good playing it. It's brilliant. I always, Well, I wrote this in the book and I always say that I compare it to like the Fresh Pince theme too. If you don't know all the words to John Barnes's rap, then you're not a child of the 90s. Cause the, oh, without well, a doubt. You, you have to know all the words to that. And obviously, Keith Allen was part of it, who will, will be part of uh, Vindaloo as well, which we'll talk to later on. It reached number one in the charts in 1990. He stayed there for two weeks until Elton John's sacrifice knocked it off the top spot. Um, but as you said before I even said it, Joel, best England song, best football song ever, even of the 90s? I think it's, I think it's not only a, a brilliant England song, but it was the first time you were sort of educated that these songs could actually be great pop songs yeah. as well, because before it was always like back home and, you know, and, and the FA Cup final songs of just the, the thing going and singing along. 
if you were Spurs, you got Chaz and Dave if you were lucky, you know. But it was the first time that a football song was actually cool. good and cool, and it was cool, yeah, yeah. And, and it was and credible, think, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think you had at that time, you had all the Manchester scene going off. So you had yeah. Stone Roses, Happy Mondays. And then all of a sudden, New Order, just a seminal part of that scene for probably, God, when were the first? 1978 or something. So they've been making records under Joy Division for 12 years yeah. or something. And, and that sort of gives a stamp of, oh, right, okay, this is cool. And it's, it's one of those, um, I think it's one of the, it holds it up, the fact that football was going to become the hu- as hugely cool as it was going to become in the 1990s. And that was one of the tenets of it, I suppose. Yeah. It was originally, this is uh, something I, I found out, it was going to, Keith Allen, what did it called? E, e- is for England. Yeah, but it was yeah. ruled out for the FA because it sounded too much like ecstasy. Uh, as a little <laughs> fact for you on that and song. I know that Keith Allen still holds a grudge about Three Lions because... Obviously, in the John Barnes rap, three lines on my chest. I know we can't yeah. go wrong, and he thinks that they, um, he thinks that Bedell and Skinner and the Lightning Seeds owe him something of a debt for <laughs> for that line, shall we say? Well, I think also the end of the song when you've got the singing for England. Cause it, oh, so then you still had that chanty bit mm. um, in the same vein that we'll talk in a minute about uh, three lines that had England's footballs coming home. Mm. Um, I think that just made it even more of a football song as well as the I mean the John I can't wax lyrical enough about the John Barnes rap best English rapper there's ever been <laughs> well John you'd know you on the Anfield rapper the 80s of course yeah exactly you know he was the man that everybody turned to they were like Barnsley you can rap yeah right get on this do it and he he does it just without anybody really prompting him now you can kind of just look at yeah. him and go but oh yeah go on I'll do the rap but he was so good at it yeah. <laughs> I've got it I've got on it do you want to know who was asked asked to do the rap originally? Yeah, go on. Oh, I can remember. I can't remember, but I I should know this. We've already mentioned him. Yeah, your your player of the nineties. My player, oh, wasn't it? Yeah. Gaza Gaza was yeah. asked to do it originally, and he just couldn't do it. And then I think the one time he did do it, nobody could understand the word he was saying. Yeah. Well, apparently, <laughs> well, Peter Beardsley Boy, was up for he? it as well. Apparently, Peter Beardsley was up for it. That would have been hilarious. What <laughs> Beardsley trying to rap? Um, but yeah, so yeah, I mean, we've started at the very top. Um, so it is going to be hard to sort of go against well there's a little sorry if I can just jump in do you yeah. want to know what was number two while um, three lines was over uh, three lines well emotion was number one go on Ness and Dorma Pavarotti oh, which I mean we'll talk tournament anthems in a bit but yeah Again, the trouble is with that, that's the best one as well. I mean, I still <laughs> listen to that and I still in slow motion take a penalty and score and obviously not an England player because that didn't happen. But, um, and then run around celebration. But yeah, and absolutely amazing. Gary Lineker scored a penalty against Cameroon. Didn't he? Was, that, was that 1990? Yeah, he scored two. I meant yeah. shootouts, but yeah. Ah, okay. <laughs> the celebration was more of a shootout celebration. Mm. Uh, but following that theme of England, um, Free Lions, again, I mean, it kind of, for me, when I look at World Emotion, as Joel said, the Manchester scene, it kind of summed up that era. In, in the same way, Free Lions, we moved into the mid-90s, Britpop. It was kind of, that summer, it's all summed up in that song, that feeling, the Euro 96 being in England, uh, the, the show, Fantasy Football League, being at its most popular at the time. Um, of the difference, as, we all, as everyone who should know, listening to this podcast, who's obviously heard Free Lions a million, million times, the fact that it was about England losing most of the lyrics it made it different. And I think Frank's going to come out and said that they didn't want to do a song that was like, way hey, we're brilliant, blah, blah, blah. You know, we're going to win the, the Euros. They wanted to be a real England fan. And, and Graham, that's, that's what they got, didn't they? Yeah, they did. I, I think in a way, although I think World of Motion's a much better song, I think I've got a tiny bit more affinity for Three Lions um, from, a, from a personal point of view because of the fact that I was, I was much older yeah. at the time of Euro 96. I was only five years old when um, Italian 90 happened. So I wasn't, 
I don't really remember it at that time as fondly as I probably remember Ness and Dormer. But um, with Three Lions, I went to some of the matches that you were in '96. I remember the I remember the build up to the to the games really well, and I just remember Bedil and Skinner and the Lightning Seeds the first time they performed that on top of the pops. And it was just a way that you saw the audience react to it and everything, and you knew that it was a surefire hit. Yeah, it was absolutely true. John, as a DJ, do you get more requests for, for free lions during tournament time, or would, would you say World in Motion? It's pretty balanced, actually. Yeah. You know, it's pretty much 50-50, World in Motion and, and Three Lions. Everybody loves both those songs. So when you, you come in to pick those playlists, and we'll be doing it again this summer with, uh, with the Euros, yeah, we're going to be putting all these kind of songs together. And, and they're just the two at the top of the list, but they're so difficult to separate. Yeah. It's really hard. It really is. I mean, like, New Order, as you were saying before, it's the more... It was a great, credible pop song back in the day, and they were such mm. a great band. But those guys and the Lightning Seeds, just together, put this brilliant sort of feel-good factor with that song. And even though, like you said, the lyrics were pretty much about England getting beat and losing, it was just an anthem and a half. Yeah. Joe, do you remember what knocked it off number one? Uh, Fuji's killing me softly. Oh, oh, he's... oh he's good, you know. He's good, you know. <laughs> I remember the fantasy football sketch. I think they. Had... That's why I remember yeah, it. Yeah, all the copies of the, of the Fuji's kind of hiding in there, like a yeah. cupboard or something. Um, but no, great. So, what do you think of the the '98 version of Three Lions, Joe? Hated it. Really? Hated it. Hated it. Hated it. Hated it. Yeah, I um, I've read interviews with uh, them, and they just said straight away, money. Money, money. The the last time I did an interview with David Bedell, is that a name dropping? Sorry. Oh yeah, pick it up. <laughs> um, I sort of said to I said to David, is um, is Three Lions your pension plan in the same way that Merry Christmas Everybody is <laughs> yeah. is Noddy Holder's pension plan? And he went, well, we, I wouldn't say it's my pension plan because you know it all depends on whether we're going to get to these tournaments and how far England are going to do. He said, but it's always a welcome couple of pounds. <laughs> yeah, I remember the video when they had Frank Skinner putting his hand in a bucket of custard to look like the World Cup. The World Cup. Yeah. yeah, and they had Stefan, all the German players had Stefan Kuntz on the mm. back of their shirts referencing Indeed. something else, of course. But no, it's, it, as John said, and it's, it summed up that era. It was, it's a feel-good anthem, and I think that always still gets played. Do you know the story about, you know that Three Lions was a big hit in Germany? Yes, because after they won it, they'd sang it, didn't they? On the... they? They went on their, their version of Sports Personality of yeah. the Year and uh, sang it to sort of great cheese. I think it was a top 10 record. I don't think it was a number one, but all the Germans took it to the heart because, you know, they were being horrible. <laughs> I remember them singing it like on their like their open tour bus parade they did through Berlin, I imagine, when mm-hmm. they'd won the Euros and all the players were on the balcony of whatever monument and they were singing it and it was, talk about a kick in the teeth, you know, it's bad <laughs> enough that we had Andreas Muller you know, strike that sword deep into our hearts, even though we'd played better. Um, but we'll talk very much in detail about that in our Euro 96 pod in a few weeks. Um, but keep, uh, we'll continue this England theme before we... Can talk- I just make a quick confession about that? Go video, on, John. Because uh, the 98 version, obviously, was the, the worst version of the two. But I was at college at the time when this was happening. And I was doing my media course there and we had to make a music video. So a few of my friends pick like really big songs like you know Faithless and Insomnia and stuff like that. And I thought, oh, forget it. I'm going to do uh, Three Lions. This will be a laugh. So I recreated the video. The first one and or the second one? Yeah, the second one. I got right. a few of my mates like to film a couple of football games that we could stick in there, some proper like park football rubbish stuff. And then I did the whole putting your hand in a bucket of custard <laughs> with, a, with a ball to recreate the World Cup. Yeah. And I, 
I ruined my carpet at home. My oh, mum almost killed me at the time. Did your mother think it was custard? Did your mother think it was custard? Thankfully, yes, because she knew the entire plan. Because I took like I was like, I need a bucket. Why do you need a bucket? Because I'm going to fill it with custard. Why? Because I'm filming a video. All right, and then just carried on. Good story. If it was if it was anything like I was at college, you know, I'd have literally, you know, when we were making pop videos at college, everything was as literal as it could possibly have been. So if we did on three lions, we'd have actually tried to get three lions. <laughs> that doesn't sound like fun. Uh, and I, it, my insomnia video would have been me in bed. You know, it's that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've, another song that was out around 1996 um, wasn't as popular. Well, in terms of football audience, it was, but it didn't obviously beat the juggernaut that was Three Lions. It was a song by Black Grape. Uh, called England's Irie. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, does anyone want to? Anyone remember that? Do you remember the main line from it? I don't. I don't remember the. Um, it been used much around about the Euro '96 tournament, but I certainly remember Sky Sports using it quite frequently yeah. for years. Uh, for years afterwards, used um, it on the championship. Yeah, cut. Yeah, that's that's I felt like this. That's that little line. <laughs> that's the end. Win. but yeah that was in that yeah so that that got to number two and it was only overshadowed uh by three lions and that was that got to number two yeah holy smogs i know crazy and that was mentioned on twitter actually by samuel clayton as well and he mentioned collapse lung as well which was out at the same time which eat my goal my goal of course which uh, i think that was that was a coca-cola advert yeah eventually used in a coca-cola advert i think they yeah. released it every tournament um, but moving on to 1998, France 98, and the official England song that tanked so badly. Um, John, we mentioned this briefly earlier. Did you, you said to me, did the Spice Girls release a football anthem? Yeah, and yes, they, they did. did. How, do, how does it feel to be on top of the world? And you didn't remember much about it, did you? No, I didn't, but I went and watched the video straight after we were talking about that. Spice Girls and England United. Yeah. Oh, my word. I mean, this was a video that they put together with the Spice Girls bouncing around with a load of myth-looking indie guys. <laughs> yeah. It was just like, I don't want to be here right now. I'd rather be down in the pub having a load of Carlin or whatever. <laughs> and Mel B was, was just that, bouncing around like she was so happy. I think it was Ian McCulloch, wasn't it, from Echo it and the Bunnymen? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, I and think Ocean Colour Scene as well. That first frame of Ian McCulloch when he sat there on the couch and he's just like, forget this. I don't want to be here, mate. <laughs> it was just so bad. I bet they enjoyed the money. Like they did with New Order. But they just, you know, they picked the two really cool bands and then that the, the most popular band on the planet at the time, the Spice Girls. But they didn't mix. Um, the song was really tepid. Really didn't really get you going, if I remember rightly. And obviously their biggest problem, as we just already mentioned, was that Free Lions came out as well and everyone just bought that and I, I don't think I think it made number nine in the chart how does it feel on top of the top of the world that made number nine whereas Free Lions and the, the song we're about to talk to next made the top two which was Keith Allen back again Graham Vindaloo yeah I, I, I certainly remember this one I, re- I, I probably remember the video as vividly yeah. as I remember yeah. the song really um, but yeah I mean it was it, it was another feel good song wasn't it? Yeah. I, it I've got a feel if they hadn't re-released um Three lines at the time that that probably would have been number one hands down throughout exactly, that yeah. tournament, um, and it, it was certainly one that went down well with the England supporters as well. And it's one that's more fondly remembered than pretty much any official England record ever since then. Yeah. So it, it, it it's certainly a memorable one for the right reasons, and like some of the ones we're discussing tonight. Yeah, much better than the official one, wasn't it, Joe? Uh, the official one of that year. Oh, yeah. goodness gracious me! But you know, a very very laddie. <laughs> very, yeah, oh, very, very of the time. Fat yeah. Les, who was who was in Fat Les then? Keith Allen. Oh God, now you now you t- uh, Alex, Alex James. James, I yeah, think Alex was James, in. Yeah. Um, was Damien Hurst something to do with it as well? Yeah, he was randomly. Yeah, yeah. 
not not sure how that what he actually did. I mean, obviously the video that Graham talks about is them spoofing bittersweet sympathy by the Verve. Yes, uh, having people like Matt Lucas. I remember he was kind of randomly walking alongside David, David Williams as well. Yeah, David Williams. Um, it's it, the, the song was. Um, I, th- I think wasn't it they, they wanted they were the originally going to call it Fish and Chips yeah and then they discovered that Vidaloo was in fact the most popular dish in England so they better name it after that which is quite a nice term yeah and it, yeah the lyrics don't really make a lot of sense but there wasn't there was enough sort of things to shout wasn't there John I mean it was is, is that another one you get requests for yeah you see that one coming in every now and again when the tournament pops up it's not like the you know like the three lions kind of si- uh, size of requests or uh or the new order one but you know it's still a big big tune and people just like to chant it because it's dead easy to chant yeah. in it there's, there's no real lyrics to it. yeah that exactly i might sing the whole song and people will turn off but it's yeah. definitely one where you could you know you can sing it after a few beers and be really unafraid of not getting anything wrong yeah no good good one. it's it goes on the list of songs you can play. If you've, if you, I used to be a DJ in clubs, and you play those sorts. You play that before an England match. You play the Great Escape before an England match. It's kind of in that pantheon of, you know, big stuff to get all the beer drinking lads going mad. Yeah, no, it's a top song, um, and I think that was kind of sums up all the England songs of the era. And before we move on to talk more club and, yes, it's coming the footballer own pop songs. We've got to speak to today's guests. Um, he played for Aston Villa and England and was part of the Euro 92 squad, uh, the Graham Taylor squad in Sweden. We called the Forgotten Tournament in the pod we did. Uh, he's former winger Tony Daly talking to us on Alive and Kicking. Tony Daly, welcome to Alive and Kicking. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, no problem, Ash. Good to hear from you. Um, you're one of the iconic stars of the 90s, especially with your, we always remember your haircut from the 90s, one of the best, uh, <laughs> with your dreads on top, brilliant. Um, let's take you back then to, to you were Aston Villa in 1990. Yeah, you were a local lad. Were you a Villa fan? Yeah, over, uh, from a very young age, yes. Um, I used to actually go the, in the terraces and watch Villa, yes. I was, I was very much committed to them. I used to go there with my brother and was an avid fan. So it must have been big for you to, to get in the first team and, and play for the club? Oh, it is a fantastic feeling. You know, you've watched, you've actually been involved with uh, your heroes that you've been watching in the stands for many years previous to that. And it's, it's a great honour. And I think as well with the fans, you know, having watched it there and, you know, you're cheering on those uh, particular players that you're actually training and playing with now. And, you know, and the fans are uh, cheering you on as well. So you, you appreciate, you know, the support. Mm. You're, in your time at Villa, you, you had two quite close runs at the title, especially the, the first season in the, at the Premier League. For you, what kind of, what meant that you just didn't quite get over the line for, in that squad? Yeah, I, I, I would say really just the the how good the teams were. I mean, you put referring to Liverpool at that particular time, the first one. Yeah, um, yeah, they're absolutely they were awesome at the time as well. And, and I think just prior to uh, Christmas, you know, we were we were well in well in there. And I think Liverpool just kicked on. I think probably our depth of squad. I think I'm not sure we picked up probably a couple of injuries of our of our key players, whereas Liverpool probably had that stronger squad. I think that was more the case. I think. And then the same, May, I mean, that May night team that you lost to in, in 93, again, it was kind of a force of nature, wasn't it, that they were going to win the league Abs- that yeah. year? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yes. It, you, you, um, during the night as well, uh, May nights were absolutely awesome. And, you know, and um, as Eddie says, again, I think this, their, their squad, their depth of squad uh, proved to be uh, the, the winning point, I think. Mm, but you had some great players at the time, Villa. Who did you enjoy playing with um, in, that, in that era? I was quite a few. I mean, uh, I was fortunate enough to um, uh, play with a particular player, my hero at the time, 
um, was probably uh, Mark Waters when I first mm. broke into the team. But uh, a bit moving a bit later on as well, um, definitely the likes of David Platt, Dwight York, uh, good, uh, Paul McGrath, um, Andy Townsend, Ray Houghton, uh, Steve Staunton. There's a an array of players, an array of uh, great players there that I had the privilege of playing with. Mm. Yes, and also some managers as well. Obviously, Graham Taylor, who went on to point manage England, and Ron Atkinson, who was always a, a big character. What were they like to play under? And what, what, how different two, were they as managers? Yeah, they're two very different managers. Um, and, uh, Graham Taylor, you know, a uh, whole lot of uh, had my career. What I liked about uh, Graham, you weren't too sure uh, with him. You know, there are times when you were playing particularly bad and uh, you know, um, you, you thought you're going to be out of the team, or you know, you're going to get a right rollicking, a right telling off, and he'd make you feel like the best player in the world. You know, and and conversely, the way he would say when you're playing particularly well, that you know, he'd be really, really hard on you, and um, you know, have a go at you, and I think just keep you uh, very grounded. And he was, you know, he was, he was fantastic to work for. Very meticulous. He loved his fitness. Um, you know, he wanted he, he wanted um, talented players who actually, you know, uh, run their socks off. Big one was slightly different, you know. He, he was he's was, very charismatic manager, as you know. But he, again, um, he, he looked after his players in terms of you know keeping the pressure off them. You know, if if, if the team wasn't playing well, he, he'd, he'd come up with a quote or something that would put mm. the pressure off him and, and put it to him. But he, he's, he's very much um, much a, a players manager in terms of you know um, getting getting uh, excellent players. He attracted great players to the club and uh, players that want to play for him. You mentioned Graham Taylor being big in your career. He also gave you your England debut as well. Um, we talk about putting a Villa shirt on. What was it like to, to wear the free lines? Yeah, um, um, and you talk to anybody, uh, any professional footballer who, who, who who's playing in the profession, that's the biggest honour to play for your country, and, and mine is no different. Um, it was something as a child that you always wanted to do, is, is to put the three lines on. And it was a fantastic feeling having been called up in a couple of squads prior to that um, under Bobby Robson and being on the bench not getting on, but having um, yeah, making my debut in a in, in a game in the Euro Championship against Poland in a one-one draw and getting on there in the second half, so it was it was absolutely fine and scary, but at the same time a fantastic feeling. It was great. You were part of the, the Euro 92 squad as well, and it's a tournament we we spoke about earlier in the season. It's kind of forgotten about. I mean, I think because. Mm. Basically, some of the big teams didn't do as well as they thought, including England. Mm-hmm. But how do you look back on, on Euro 92? It was, a, it was a fantastic experience. As you said, you know, at a particular time, I think uh, the, the press were uh, out for England at a particular mm-hmm. time as well. You know, I think with, with that, which, which didn't help. And, um, uh, but uh, on our own personal uh, thing, it was nice to be involved in a squad and having that... Um, experience of playing in a championship football for your country it was fantastic you know and I enjoyed every minute of it mm. yeah absolutely yeah, what was the uh, I was one like, ask people who played in this team in the the, the relationship like with Gary Lineker and Graham Taylor after the uh, the infamous substitution in the last game yeah I was actually playing that game as well I think uh, Gary Lineker's last game against uh, Sweden and coming off yeah, it was I was surprised when he did come off but um you know, having post, I can't remember anything post that. I was, I was, I was quite young mm. in the squad in terms of that now, so I can't really recall anything anything uh, post that. But, you know, as I said, uh, with Lennick, uh, uh, I was there uh, when, when he got took off and substituted. I was quite surprised as well. But, you know, he made his decision and, and, it, and obviously it, it, it proved to be a wrong one in terms of, you know, we didn't go on and win the game. Mm. 
back to, to the club level, you won the, the League Cup in 1994. Would you say that was the, the highlight of your, your time at Villa? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it was a fantastic achievement. I think our form uh, prior to that, uh, league form, was pretty poor. You know, it was, it was, um, we, hadn't, we, were doing, we had a decent start of the season. And uh, prior to that, you know, our form was shocking in terms of uh, performances. And I think uh, May United were going for trouble that year and no one gave us an absolute hope. Uh, you know, which helped us really because, you know, we could relax. We actually enjoyed the day. I remember not being over nervous in terms of that and, you know, in terms of going out. And, you know, we actually felt as a team that we could uh, surprise a few people here. You know, we, you know, we, we galvanised and played extremely well on the day and, and were comfortable winners. Mm. You went on and played for Wolves, um, but I think by this point, your injuries had kind of taken most of the, the player that we knew because you were always like a speedy winger. Was it a difficult time? Um, Do you feel like you never realised your best at Wolves? Yeah, absolutely. I've got a hundred percent. Didn't I'd left uh, uh, Bill at the time uh, at, at twenty four. Uh, sorry, twenty six. Sorry, uh, uh, which was a peak in my career, as uh, fit as anything, and picked up you know an array of injuries. You know, uh, constituting only about twenty six appearances for Wolves, which is a huge disappointing for me. And you know, and I'm, I'm no doubt with the fans as well. But you know, it was it was a very very uh, terrible four years I had there in terms of um, not playing. The club to me was absolutely fantastic in terms of, uh, you know, uh, looking after me and, and, and everything else. A fantastic club and, you know, um, we had uh, quite a few injuries that year as well from our uh, uh, big, big name signings. Steve Froggett was injured uh, for quite a bit of time as well. Uh, Jeff Thomas was injured as well. You know, that we had a fantastic team and if all was available, I'm sure we would have been in the Premier League still now. You're at Wolves now as the fitness coach. Um, is that something that you took on? Because of your injuries, you got more interested in the fitness side of it. And no, I was I was interested in fitness anyhow because um, you know uh, I was one of those uh, silly people that actually enjoyed pre-season. <laughs> um, you know, I, I enjoyed the fact of it. And I couldn't wait. You know, was even perhaps probably a little bit too much during the close season, trying to get myself fit and ready and everything else. But I always remember that, uh, that my injuries probably did have a bit to do with it because I remember picking up injury a uh, couple of uh, injuries when I was at Villa. And um, I was speaking to Jim uh, Jim Walker, who was a physio at the time, and I would ask him, you know, the anatomy, you know, how does this particular work? Why are we doing this? And I think he got a bit, bit, bit uh, mixed with me because he used to hate it because I was always asking him questions of particular injuries. And it just came, it seemed a normal thing for me to go on. Mm. I was interested in fitness as well. So, you know, uh, I, I went to university and uh, did uh, first my undergraduate degree and then postgraduate degree in exercise and sports science. And... Uh, the rest is where I am now. Mm-hmm. Who was the best uh, player you played against uh, in your in oh, career, especially in the nineties? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, playing against uh, Brazil, um, did not get a kick. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. Um, uh, I think uh, there's a couple of players. Uh, Leonardo was one of those particular players. Well, unbelievable. Um, and having, I would, I would say as well, uh, Paul Gascoigne for me yeah. was an unbelievable player. Um, um, having played against and playing with England it's quite funny um, when we're actually in training sessions and you're actually in the same side as him you, you, you get the ball and you actually stop like a spectator looking to see what he's going to do next and you realise actually oh, I'm actually playing here you know he's, a, he's an awesome awesome talent you know I mm. think he's an awesome player yeah one of the best in the 90s going more modern times uh, we'll finish by asking you about the current state of Aston Villa I mean mm-hmm. ha- it must break your heart to see the position there in I mean for you what has gone wrong and and how, what will happen next season, which is probably going to be in the championship? Yeah, 
as, as you said, uh, and uh, and the going record as well. You know, I'm a, I'm a massive Villa fan, and I've been. Uh, since a child so you know as Ali said it's very very disappointing what's gone on there and uh, you know and currently this this, this current side have, have been uh, shocking but it hasn't been to the quite honest it hasn't been um, something that's happened uh, overnight you know there was signs of it last two three seasons uh, prior to this and and as I said it, you know it, it's been been very disappointing um, this season with some of the performances uh, but you know, I, I think it looks as like if we're going to be going down and playing in, in the championship. But it's a time to, you know, reflect, uh, gather things. I mean, we did the same thing at Wolves here when we went from the uh, Premiership down to League One, you know, to take stock, mm-hmm. uh, look where things have gone wrong and, you know, and, and, and make a conscious effort, put something together, you know, that would um, put a philosophy in place that would actually put them back into the Premier League. And that could do it because Villa is a massive club. You know, but I will say they find it extremely difficult in the championship as it is. Yeah, uh, because it, um, especially at home as well, because you, you know the, the facilities, the stand, the ground. You know, uh, teams are going to come there and think it's going to be like playing at Wembley. It's yeah, there, but it's going to be their cup final each game, so it's going to be very, very difficult. But I'm sure, in you know, if if they, they get uh, things right uh, off the field as well as on the field next season, I'm sure Villa will come fighting back. I'm quite certain of that. Brilliant. Well, I'm sure they could do with a player like with your ability today, Tony. Thank you very much for talking to us. No problem at all. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. OK, bye. Bye. Tony Daly there. Good to talk to him. I always remember that haircut he had in, in the 90s. Yeah, proper dreadlocks. Um, but let's move on to talk some club songs, um, mainly always around the FA Cup finals. And it's something that doesn't happen anymore. And much to my, to, you know, I hate that. Why not release cup final songs? It's part of the decision. Even Harchester did it. Talking Dream Team again from last week. They did it in their series. Oh, so Purple Rain. <laughs> yeah, just, exactly. Just remember that. Yeah, terrible song. Um, <laughs> it, that's what an FA Cup final sings. And talking of terrible FA Cup final songs, let's talk to Burrow and let's dance. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, know the, I know the story behind this. Originally, it was uh, it was put out as a competition. That somebody from Middlesbrough and uh, was going to do the Borough song. It was going to be given to the public, so it was going to be a school or or a choir or a church group or something like that. They were originally going to do it, and everything that came in was terrible. And Brian Robson personally vetoed everything, and they went back to the club. Uh, the, the club came back and said, "Right, who's famous? Who's from Borough?" Or oh, obviously Chris Rea, Bob Mortimer. Right, well, let's do that then, and that's what they did, and it got it got rushed released. I am proud to say that I own a copy of it. <laughs> I bet you do. I would too. Let, I've never had one. Middlesbrough FC featuring Bob Mortimer and Chris Rea. Uh, Let's dance. It's it's really terrible. But what could you do? God bless it. When we went down, when we went down to that cup final, we had uh, my friend's cassette recorder had broken in the car. Ooh, so we had it would it Bad would only for a cassette. Well done. Uh, so it would it would only play two two cassettes that we had on us. One of them was. Uh, Olive, you're not alone. That I think oh, was number true. one. That, yeah. that I think was number one that week. Yeah. Uh, and the other one was um, the Borough song, "Let's Dance." So we had two songs, mix. and then yeah, and then of course as soon as we got there, Roberto Di Matteo scored after 42 yeah. seconds. So it was all for naught. Yeah, you are not alone. Good old Olive. Um, Liverpool have had an FA Cup couple of songs as well in the 90s. John, uh, being a Liverpool fan, pass a move. It's a Liverpool groove. It is indeed a Liverpool groove. The boot room boys with a Z yeah. because that makes it cooler. Yeah, <laughs> but it goes hand in hand with those horrible FA Cup final suits, doesn't it? Oh, I don't even want to remember this final. It was awful. The Spice Boys, the suits, pass and move. Oh, pass and move. The the video. Oh my word! Well, everyone was putting on the the, the wigs and the mustaches as well in the video. 
Yeah. It's it did, just chronic. It did beat Man United's offering that year, though. The Man United one, which was, uh, let me see this, United Move, Move, Move. So Yes, which uh, was basically a, a ropey rip-off of Real to Real, wasn't it? Yeah, which did, uh, but they did have a very successful uh, song the couple of years before, the 94 Cup Final song, which is actually the only club song to ever get to number one in the UK charts, um, which was Come On Your Reds. And as a Wolves fan, Graham, you're neutral, but I bet you remember Come On Your Reds. Yeah, it's the. Um, it was uh, based on the British bus status quo, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, they were, I think they were in the video that, as well, weren't they? Yeah. That's the one. Yeah, I remember that. that would, would that have been 93 sort of time? I it think. was for the 94 yeah. final when they beat Chelsea. 94 yeah. final, yeah, because I remember that. And going back to uh, Move, 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 which you mentioned a second ago, I, I, I seem to remember um, an episode of Points of View, I think it was, that used to be on <laughs> BBC One on a, on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> They were complaining about the um, the video being on top of the pops because near the start of the video, there's a there's a, a, a scene where Cantona and I think it's Steve Bruce pop something in their mouth, which appears to be something like chewing gum. And somebody wrote into points of view saying it looked like they were condoning drug use in the middle of a nightclub. <laughs> <laughs> now, I remember that song. It, it sort of it listed the whole team, didn't it? It did that. And even got Konchelskis in there which is must be a bloody hard name to get into a song um but that is the most popular club song i must mention uh, dennis groundhopper on twitter who mentioned it earlier and someone i forgot to mention earlier who's, who mentioned vindaloo give a shout out to danny rosamond as well thank you for that um but yeah club common you reds was uh, the man united offer they did have a couple more as well we mentioned move 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 um they also had uh, one called we're gonna do it again in 95 which was kind of embarrassing because they lost to everton um, and then towards the end of the decade, a really terrible, terrible one. I think it was called Lift It High, which was a really indie inspired effort. I think they were going down the England United route and it was terrible. I don't when, you, when you consider some of the some of the people that support Manchester United yeah. and uh, I've just got the Stone well, Roses. It, well, you know, there's a, there's a thick array of proper musical talent there, you know, that would that would have probably given a left arm if it didn't stop them playing the musical instruments to record a song for Manchester United and do that sort of thing. And they ended up with like status quo, a real a real rip off. It's, yeah. it's kind of boggles some indie band that no one ever remembers. Yeah. The 99 song. So, yeah, which is yeah, kind of I think they just they did come on your reds and that was it. That was all their spending, all the credibility they had. And that wasn't much on that song. Um, and in reference to that 95 final as well, Ash, sorry to cut you off there, but the uh, Everton record was a cover of All Together Now. Was, yes. And it was atrocious. We had that on Twitter early. Someone, uh, Rick from Whole City Live mentioned that actually. Yeah, and I'd actually forgotten about that. I mean, yeah, it was a very terrible, terrible cover. A um, couple of other teams who had FA Cup final songs. Uh, Suggs did one for Chelsea. Uh, I, I have pulled Suggs up about this. There's another name <laughs> dropping. Um, well, you're on it tonight, aren't you? Yeah, well, it was my, it, my, my one of my first days on Sunday brunch and Suggs was the guest. And, you know, and I was meant to be all sort of nicey nice. And I just went up and just went, you know what? Chelsea already ruined my day, but your song made it even worse. <laughs> and, God, and, and you know what he did then, just to make it worse? He gave me a pat on the head. Oh, <laughs> that is bad. Yeah, it was a decent effort. I, it reached the top 20. Uh, I think the 22 it managed into in the charts. But yeah, from Suggs there. I, Gary Dwyer on Twitter mentioned that one to us. And the last one I wanted to mention, uh, I'll go to John for this one because um, it's a it's a classic. Arsenal's hot stuff. Do you remember that one? Oh, sadly, yeah. <laughs> uh, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, it was, they were trying to capitalise the whole Full Monty thing, really, wasn't it? Yeah. It was just, oh, well, yeah. Interesting song. Um, dreadful video as well. All the videos are the same, though, weren't they? Yeah. You know it's that. 
Yeah, you've all got, of them are the same. Got to get players into a recording booth, get them holding their ears, and if not, just show loads of footage of them playing. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Most of, it was time, a bit of... most of the time, the players look really miserable. Like they yeah, didn't want to be there. They want to be there. Yeah. Sorry, Graham. There, there was say? always. Go on, Joe. Oh, sorry. There's always bits in black and white as well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it always bits in black and white. Where, classic, you know, classic I, 90s, that was, yeah. yeah. People say we're boring, but we'll keep on scoring, as, what, <laughs> as the lyrics go in hot stuff. But they don't learn, football teams and footballers. Um, you know, that we've summed up a few of the, the football teams that released records in the 90s there, but they went alone. Footballers went on their own. They took inspiration from Hoddle and Waddle and Diamond Lights in the 80s. And I think the real first person to speak to is the man from 1990. Fog on the Tain is on main, on main. And again, <laughs> Paul Gasco. And you mentioned earlier, John, Fog on the Tain, classic. Absolute tune. Absolute tune. I used to love that when it came out at first. You know, you saw it on top of the pops and stuff. I remember seeing him do it on top of the pops. Actually, it was brilliant. It was one of the best songs around. I used to sing that all the time. I didn't care. I wasn't a Newcastle fan. I couldn't give a monkeys. It was great. The lyrics about sausage rolls and him sailing down the town and him wearing one of those Gaza tracksuits, which I'm sad to say that I did actually own one of those yep. Gaza shell suits. I um, had a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles branded shell suit that I wasn't looking. That's some of that <laughs> mid-90s. <laughs> love it, John, love it. Um, Can you the- say on on Gaza? Um, I remember him at that point being on the front of Smash Hits. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's- Gaza on the front of Smash Hits, which that at that time was unheard of. Oh, absolutely. When was a football player on the? It, they were like, you know, never, never the twain shall meet. You know, absolutely incredible that that happened. That's just another sign of Gaza's fate. You know, he's on top of the pops. He has a number two hit record, and he's on the front of Smash Hits, and mind boggling. Yeah, and, I, and he followed that up with the, the Geordie Boys. Graham, do you remember that one? That's a really obscure one. I actually don't. No, um, I didn't. I'm probably... I I'm probably... I don't. <laughs> yeah, someone on Twitter, Andy Kuntach on Twitter, said some earlier, and it just popped to memory. Do you, do you remember the Geordie Boys? Geordie Boys, Geordie Boys, we are the Geordie Boys, <laughs> we are the... Ge- yeah, being, being from Middlesbrough, we used to mock that round. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it doesn't... I've looked at it on YouTube earlier. It wasn't exactly the, the brilliant... Uh, kind of follow-up to Fog on the Time, which is obviously a Linda's Farm song. But, but yeah. I think he released an album, if I remember probably rightly. Did. There was a whole yeah. album of this yeah. nonsense. He had, well, he was, like you say, he was the star of the time. He had to cash in on, on all that. Um, and he did so. That's one story of it, do, doing it right. And playing on that perfect word, doing it wrong, is to Ian Wright. Um, do the right thing. Hold your head in your hands, Ian Wright. What was he doing? Anyone? I don't think he knew. I really don't. I, I think he just went, I'll, go on, I'll do this. It'll be a laugh, won't it? And it turned out not to be a laugh. It turned out to be utterly dreadful. It, I think he thought he was cool. He's probably I think he genuinely thought he was cool and this was going to be cool and he was going to be the first football player that made a cool record. I genuinely believe that. It's so bad. I mean, the video, it's kids playing football in a disco. <laughs> don't even understand like, what? Is, did john did you make this at school again yeah, it's this, this, this no, it, wasn't me. it wasn't me i didn't do it and he's wearing this i mean i know the 90s had some fashion faux pas but the hat yeah that hat yeah and like a really granddad looking jumper it was just the whole thing it's just such a bizarre 90s disco i don't know what he's doing it reached number 43 in the uk charts uh do the right thing um and has the horrors the cover of the lp as it is it's called um has these big old 
mush and his big old gold teeth as well. I just everything about do the right thing was just the opposite of doing the right thing. I don't know what Ian Wright was thinking on that one. After all, he looks back on it um, and grimaces, um, but he's not alone. And uh, I think Graham mentioned it at the top of the show as well. Andy Cole being outstanding. I think that was an inspiration to a lot of kids in the country to say that you could potentially release a rap record and it would be a damn sight better than Andy Cole's. <laughs> and I think it was just a it was just a case of Andy Cole cashing in, being told, Oh, why don't you release a single? Oh, that sounds like a good idea. A few quid in my pocket and it was so dreadful it's so not dreadful. even funny. Yeah. John, you said to me earlier, you, it was the first C D you got as a, a when you were working in a DJ, was it? No, it was the first CD I got as a, as a music journalist. As a journalist, fresh yeah. Of, uh, fresh out of college, I, I got a, uh, a bit of freelance work for local newspapers. I was doing uh, music reviews and, and video games and stuff as my local paper got me all, the, all these contacts. And I, I'll, I'll send you all the records to review them, it's fine. And I got well excited as soon as the first envelope came through the door. I opened it and the first CD I pulled out was Andy Cole Outstanding. <laughs> <laughs> I put it on because I thought, I've got to, I've got to review it, I've got to listen to it. Um, I don't. I wanted I don't to snap it. Yeah, <laughs> but he was so uh, he was sharp like a razor, speed to a major. Now come on, that's lyrical genius. <laughs> that is John. Which Barnes. Who wrote that? I, d- I don't know who wrote that. I really don't. I've got the actually uh, LP when I was doing the book. I uh, I bought the LP on eBay for about a pound, and it's sitting <laughs> in my garage. I should have looked at it earlier to see who written it. But yeah, terrible. Reached number sixty eight in the chart. So says a lot about Andy Cole's standing for outstanding. Um, Joel, do you want to finish this? You know, I'm just saying, do we do we just think it's an ego thing? The fact be. that yeah. these these players, but they must. I mean, I know football players at the time, especially in the 80s and sort of early 90s, weren't known for having brilliant um, taste in music at all. It was all. I mean, I still remember that Alan Shearer's favourite song is "Sailing" by Rod Stewart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so they weren't known. They were all into Phil Collins and Rod Stewart and all that stuff, was which was irredeemably rubbish. And then all of a sudden, you get some cool players like you know Ian Wright's a cool man, regardless of what you thought of him on the pitch. Makes these terrible, makes this terrible record. Andy Cole, quality player, makes this terrible record. So there must have been somebody somewhere down the line saying, you know what, you can be, you can be a two, a, a, almost like a two sports superstar. You know, you could be a music <laughs> yeah. superstar. Somebody must have been saying yeah, it to them. So Someone they would go out and make these, make these things. That's got to have how, it, how it's been sold, you know? Yeah. The, the, and also the cover of the, uh, the CD single with him on a, and wearing a leather jacket and a roll neck. It's, nice. just, it's, good, it's, it's a good 90s look. It's a good 90s look, and it got summed up, but it didn't do very well for Andy. Um, it was, was written by a guy, who, well, I say a guy, who was a guy who was part of a collective who did go on to have a number one. It was written by the bloke who said, do you really like it? Is it, is it wicked? Oh, really? It was by <laughs> Pied Piper. Big Pied Piper. Pied Piper. Blimey. Good fact. I never knew that. He did quite well for himself in the next decade. Um, well, that's merely all the kind of player pops. I don't think we forgot any there. Um, there's a few other songs and sort of tournament songs I wanted to mention. We mentioned Nessa Dorma already, which is a fantastic piece of music uh, from the 1990 World Cup. Mick Hutnell got mentioned earlier. He did the Euro 96 theme tune quite badly in We're In This Together. Um, I remember that opening this ceremony, Euro 96, him singing that with Surrounded by St. George, a dragon, and one of those random opening ceremony moments. Uh, France 98 had Cup of Life by Ricky Martin. Uh, don't know what, what was going <laughs> okay. on. Yeah, exactly. Uh, as well as Dario G as well. That was a brilliant Carvinal de Paris. That was a That's a fantastic record. Great, great song. Brilliant uh, tune. Another song I wanted to remember. This is a bit of an obscure one. When I when I did the uh, the launch for the the book a few years ago, we, I did a, a musical quiz '90s round. 
and I played this, and I don't think anyone got it right. And it was Chumbawamba's Top of the World. Do you guys remember that, John? Do you remember that as a DJ, Top of the World? <laughs> Top of the World. I can't quite remember that one actually. Yeah. Joe, um, no, and I should really, you know, on, oh. only tub thumping and yeah. soaking John Prescott. The Brian, they're the only things. Am I the only one? I vaguely, vaguely remember it. Was were, were the lyrics something? Did they start with something like "I'm a bricklayer"? And uh, <laughs> they went through random professions, Possibly. and then it was um, it ended with "I'm a footballer." And um, yeah, yeah, I've got to admit, Chumbawamba should have just left music alone after Tub Thumpers. Yeah, really honest, have, yeah. Um, which ended up becoming a better football anthem than most of the records that we've probably discussed today. In all honesty, yeah, it was called "Top of the World." Olay, Olay, Olay. So yeah, and all, so got, hold on, hold on. Despite none of the World Cups or events of the 1990s being held in Spain, Spain. yeah. <laughs> so got, and Ricky Martin also, despite not being French, also got in, in the act. It's yeah, it's quite bizarre. Uh, I've just got the lyrics in front of me. It's got absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever. <laughs> when you're talking about all the jobs you've got, I'm a taxi driver. I'm a postal worker. I'm an office cleaner. I'm a striking docker. I'm a ballet dancer. I'm a zapatista. I'm a pop singer. I'm a winner. I'm a winner, baby. There you go. <laughs> I win a baby, as opposed to Chumbawamba for you, kids. If you haven't heard Chumbawamba, there's an education. Go and Google that as well as tub thumping. I know. I know. We just mentioned Carnival to Paris. I've just remembered my um, fact about that. You know that uh, Dario G, who are named after Dario Gradi, by the way. There you go. That's oh, a good, good fact. Yeah. Um, there was an instrument from every single nation represented at that World Cup 98 um, within that song. So obviously Scotland had the bagpipes. Oh. The instrument that represented England was the spoons. Yes. <laughs> it's so cultural. That's brilliant. I love that fact. Talking to Scotland, I must mention their couple of songs of the 90s as well. They did Purple Heather in 1996 with uh, Rod Stewart and then Don't Go Home Too Soon. That was the one, Delamitri. Delamitri, which is tongue-in-cheek maybe because, you know, Scotland do normally come home too soon, unfortunately, from tournaments. So um, they were the Scotland mentions. Um, before we start to wrap up, um, anyone we haven't mentioned? Jofa, anything we haven't mentioned? Oh, I, I think we might have exhausted everything. I, I do remember a really sort of cheesy house record that was Manchester United, who are Cantona, that was a big sort of piano anthem that had uh, Barry Davies, ding, 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 there's oh, a point for him. Yeah, good old Barry Davies. Um, Barry Davies commentating on top of it, Cantona looking for the early run, here he is, lovely goal, lovely goal, and then that sent you to the piano bit, and I used to genuinely like that record, I <laughs> never, ever, ever played me with my old sort of white gloves, raver head on. Yeah, um, I think that came but, after Comedy Reds, it was in that kind of conglomerate of all those songs. That yeah, quite as, yeah. Yeah. Um, Graham, any more, or we think we've covered everything? No, none, none off the top of my head. Um, I'm trying to think. There's got to be. There's got to be another one. Sure I remember Beethoven's Beethoven's Ode to Joy was the BBC theme to Euro '96, which oh. I always thought was magnificent, even though written by a German composer for a for a tournament that was set in England. So that kind of didn't. Oh, we talk, talk talk tournament themes. The ones I always remember. I think we mentioned on Euro '92 pod was Paul Young's uh, "You Are the Number One." Absolute <laughs> all up cheese. Loved it. I've got the CD cassette still somewhere. Um, USA 94, we had America from BBC. Yes. Want to live in America. That's and, you, and then ITV followed up the Euro 92 one with Gloryland, which again, stunk a cheese, but I loved it for the American <laughs> World Cup. Um, I'm not sure. I think, I don't sure what they were for France 90. And my mind goes a bit fuzzy after that. But yeah, I remember those two for definite in those tournament ones. John, have we forgot anything from your distant musical past? 
you know, the only song that I could remember, I had to check on this, was uh, about a bloke who, well, it was by a bloke, uh, alongside uh, the, the very mighty Chris Waddle, and uh, it was uh, it was Basil Bolly. Oh, of course, that? yes, yeah. yeah. We've got a feeling, and he was, of course, the geezer who uh, who, who headbutted Stuart Pearce. Yes. In, uh, in Euro 92, but uh, yeah, it was like almost like Waddle was cheating on Hoddle doing that when he moved to France. <laughs> you know, you can't record a song without me. Oh, actually, yes, I can. Here it is. And it was, again, quite dreadful. Brilliant. Well, I think we've covered pretty much all the good and bad, mostly bad of the 90s music. Um, I'll put a few on Twitter this week so we, you can recall some of the bad videos and bad songs um, from that. And talking of which, I didn't start, say at the stop of the show, but you can follow us on Twitter at AK90s and on Facebook. And of course, download all our previous shows um, on iTunes. <laughs> Um, and of course, just subscribe by hitting the download button. And as I always say, if you want to give us a lovely review and a five-star rating, that'll be very much appreciated. Uh, before I go, a couple of quick mentions. Firstly, to the artists' new range at the Art of Football. Our friends at Art of Football, you may remember, we did um, some work with them at the end of last uh, year. Um, great new T-shirt range that features 90s heroes like Dennis Burkamp and a couple of others. Great new range. Go and check that out. And make sure you listen to a uh, friend of the show, a new podcast called The Monday Night Carlo. Um, we're going to be on it um, on the 7th of March discussing the podcast and a bit more about 90s football. I'll remind you again uh, to check that out um, when we're nearer the time, but we're going to be talking on that podcast pretty soon as well. Um, all remains to say is thank you as always to my saviour, Joel. Thank you, mate. Oh, thank you, Ash, for having me. It's always a pleasure. Never yeah, and thank you for helping us with the theme as well. It was a great idea. I think we've enjoyed it. Graham, first time. We'll have you back for video games. But thank you very much. Looking forward to it, Ash. Thank you. Thank you. And John, um, we'll, we'll speak to you soon. Thank you very much for coming on. Welcome anytime. Yeah. Thank you very much, mate. Really appreciate it. Brilliant. Thank you for listening. Uh, We'll see you next week. And until then, keep it 90s. This podcast is a West 12 Media and Burble Media production. Hello, I am Gabriel Maylard. I am one of the producers of AK90s, as well as a QPR podcast. And I just wanted to tell you guys about my new podcast. It's called Going Somewhere, and it's at GoingPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's about journeys, travel, and stuff. This week I spoke to Danny Boyle, so if you want to give us a listen, please do. We're Going Somewhere podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes, and we're at GoingPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Cheers.